Tennessee River. There was his wife, whose spring wardrobe had not yet arrived from Paris and was still dressed in heavy winter velvet, without a dance partner in a very good room. Who could blame our little bird, then, for alighting eventually on the sill of one of those old-fashioned families to whom decorum still meant something? But when he chose the sill of number 17 Gramercy Park, well... That was still no guarantee of stayed lives within. And yet, on this particular evening, Diana Holland might well have been the only girl of her set who was, in fact, where she was supposed to be. For there she sat in her own room, alone, her shiny and unruly curls brushed and falling down around her neck, the rosy skin of her cheeks had been carefully scrubbed, and she looked into the elaborately carved and dark-stained vanity mirror where she had so often prepared for gay evenings out. There was nothing gay about her appearance now. Her usually dewy, deep-set brown eyes had cried themselves dry, and her small, round mouth was twisted in despair. She blinked and blinked at her reflection, but she could not bring herself to like what she saw. She no longer approved of the girl who stared back at her, and she knew that despite the many tragedies her short life had hurled at her, she'd never been so low as this. She ached with what she had done, and the longer she sat alone, the worse the hurt became. Then she relaxed her shoulders and raised her small, defined chin, she blinked again, and resolution settled on her features. Her gaze did not waver from the mirror as her hand felt across the table for a pair of gold-plated scissors. Once her fingers curled around the handle, there was not even a second of hesitation. She brought them to her curls and began to cut. There was such volume to her hair that she needed several breathless minutes to shear it all off. It was only after it was done, when shiny brown heaps were amassed at her feet, that she pushed back her chair and broke away from her own reflection. All that was left were the dark brown roots wisping over her ears and at the nape of her neck. Later, when the first pale touches of morning were only a promise at the edges of the sky, our sparrow, still resting on the eaves of the Holland home, watched as its youngest inhabitant exited by the front door. Her old coat was drawn tight to shield her from the cold, and her hat was pulled over her ears. It was too late, or too early, for any human being to note the absolute determination in her stride. But the little sparrow's black eyes followed her as she disappeared into the brand new day. One. Mr. Leland Bouchard requests the pleasure of your company at a ball to be given in honor of the members of the New York Automobilist Club on Thursday evening, February 8, 1900, at 9 o'clock, 18 East 63rd Street. Surely a girl as lovely as you, a girl who personifies loveliness itself, should not be hidden away on a night like this on a night when everyone wants to see a fine figure and starry eyes, 
and where yours are the starriest of all. Diana Holland looked up innocently from the comb-crested silk sofa in the library and met the eyes of her friend, who leaned against the polished mahogany doorframe, having characteristically used twice as many words as were strictly necessary. His name was Davis Barnard, and though he wrote his gossip column under a pseudonym, he was the only famous writer Diana knew. Diana glanced to her left, where the eyelashes of her chaperone, Aunt Edith, were just touching down on that lady's high cheekbones. In Edith's face, Diana could see the future of her own features, for the small, rounded mouth, the subtle nose, and the dark eyes, perfectly spaced under a generous forehead, were very like hers, albeit with the thinning and etching of age. Edith exhaled a sleepy, contented...